Welcome to The Vital Podcast, where church revitalization is vitally important. Thanks for tuning in for proven and practical resources to help lead your church toward the fullness God has for them. This is a show where we not only come alongside to motivate you on your leadership journey, we give you tactical strategies to implement on your way to church health and growth. Welcome to another episode of The Vital Podcast. Ken and Mark and I know just firsthand how lonely and isolating parish ministry can be at times. And our vision for this community is to encourage one another with vital conversations and humble collaboration. This season, we're focusing on the topic of pastoral transition. And as I shared in our last episode, all of the current research in this area is pointing to the reality that we're approaching a precarious juncture of church transition and pastoral turnover. I'm Brian Poppy. I'm a senior consultant with the Anglican Revitalization Ministry Team, and I'm so excited to be with you. Ken and Mark is traveling this week. He'll be rejoining us for the next episode. Uh, Last week or last time we were together, we discussed uh, why pastoral transition is actually more art than science. And Ken and Mark and I had a great conversation about the internal side of transition. We covered three phases of transitions that we go through when we're navigating a big change. And if you didn't catch that episode, I'd encourage you to go back and and listen. Ken and Mark shared uh, a ton of great wisdom with us. But today, I have the privilege of being with and interviewing a person that I love and respect so much. He's been a dear friend to me and so many others. Bishop Trevor Walters, welcome to the Vital Podcast. Thank you, Brian. Good to be with you. So good to be with you. For those of you who who don't know Bishop Trevor, he's been in pastoral ministry for over 45 years. He's been a bishop for the last 13. Uh, Significant expertise and anointing in the areas of conflict, mediation, clergy health, church leadership. Uh, Some of you may know he's published several books on these topics that are well worth your time. I just want to mention a few. The Anglican Network in Canada, this is a, a recent publication that covers the topic of the protest and providence of the global Anglican realignment. Um, More closer to home, two texts that I've spent a lot of time with, uh, EAS syndrome. The subtitle of that book is Healing Burnout in Adults Lacking Parental Affirmation. And then another publication of his, The Power of Christian Mediation. And that's a text about realizing spirit-led outcomes in conflict and and situations that need mediation. So I know these works will be a blessing to many for the decades to come and are actually the fruit of the hope and healing of Bishop Trevor's ministry uh, with pastors and parishes all over the country. Uh, Bishop Trevor, I've heard you share in other places that your favorite part of being a pastor has been mentoring young clergy and bringing peace to the church. Tell, tell us about that. Why is that? Why is there a fire in your bones for mentoring and mediation? Uh, well, at my age, Brian, and, and I think by the total of the number of years you've given me, I think I put you in about 105. Um, <laughs> at this stage, you've got so little time left. You've got to get work done through other people. And so I am determined to get as much influence out there uh, through other people that I can. So mentoring is the way to do that. Oh, I love it. I love it. I know uh, our Archbishop Emeritus, Bob Duncan, recently joked about retirement. If I say it with my Texas act- accent, retire, retirement, 
is simply a time where they jack the car up, he says, and they place four new tires on it and then quickly get you back on the road. You've had your fair share of transition and changes over a lifetime of ministry. And I know that you've entered into retirement and you're enjoying parts of that. And uh, iconography is one of those, but you also continue to mentor clergy and you coach parishes. Um, and I understand you've got a new book in the works on pastoral transition. Why a new book on transition? Well, you would understand there's a new book uh, uh, in the works because you're co-writing it. So let's not be too Indeed. humble here. Um, <laughs> so if you're trying to promote your book, let's do that. <laughs> uh, so it, that's true. We, we are now working on a book on uh, yes, pastoral sure. transition. We are. That's right. Yes. Why, why this book? Um, well, I, uh, I have been approached um, in the last year of retirement uh, just too many times for it to be coincidental by clergy uh, who have said to me, I'm in this transition. What questions should I be asking myself? Mm. And so um, I, uh, it's, it's, it's not my nature to give answers. It's my, my nature to ask other questions. So I've said to them, well, look, why don't we hang out together uh, and uh, we'll ask more questions about this together. Um, but after the second or third time of doing this, I began to think, that, you know, there's something really important for the church, uh, church leaders and churches in, in this issue of transition. So I said to people, um, look, uh, I'm willing to spend the time with you, but your job will be to write up um, the questions. Um, and, uh, and then I would like your permission to use them in, in, in the potential of writing a book. So that's, that's how that began until I realized I didn't have the competency to know what was actually going on in the world way of literature and resources. And you did. So it seemed to be a perfect partnership. <laughs> I I don't know about that second part, but we I do think the Lord put us together, and I'm I'm so excited to be working with you you on it. Um, it's neat to hear that it really arose in your mentoring of of young clergy and and other clergy across uh, our our church that uh, it bubbled up, and then we, we see a need here. And I know in our conversations we've we've decided to start. Um, this work on pastoral transition where we believe it often begins and that's in the heart and mind of the pastor. And uh, I love the way that you frame this. Um, you, you talk about how sometimes we, we, we get lost, we get stuck and lose our bearings. And you, you use these words, you said, sometimes you've lost your peace, you lose the plot or you lose your passion. Um, you've got a number of, of ways of framing it up. And I know the new book, as you said, will outline critical questions. What, what do you see as the general principles that tend to trigger a desire to make a change? What, what is it that triggers a desire to make a change often in, in the heart of a pastor? I think things not going well. Um, when they realize they're not being fruitful or they're stuck in a rut uh, or they've lost their enthusiasm, um, people start asking questions, they, they, and the questions are often, how long can I do this? 
and maybe I need a change. Maybe that will make the difference. Mm. And I think I've come to believe that so often it's an internal change that's needed rather than mm. changing the, you know, redecorating the room, changing the furniture. So, Bishop Trevor, in, in the first chapter of the book that uh, we're working on, you, you cover uh, five different uh, areas, categories that um, help a leader to assess um find discernment, find God's guidance as they're trying to make decisions about whether or not they should make a change. And I, I wish we had time to cover all of it, but um, just to dive into the, the first one that, that you address is this matter of hearing God's voice, of finding God's guidance in our discernment process. Could you talk a little bit about that and <clears throat> some of the challenges that we face as pastors for that? Yeah, love to, Brian. Um, I, I think when a clergy person is is overstressed um, and they're veering on burnout, then um, it's much like the strings of the violin that become so taut that uh, the music of God's voice is no longer audible. And uh, although there are filing cabinets, uh, and uh, that's an old term, there are databases full of, um, <laughs> of uh, material on guidance, um, clergy just have got to the point where they're not good at, at actually reading the material for themselves. I'll give you an example. Um, my, my wife died when she was 58, uh, and it was a difficult, long death. And I, I knew what I ought to do, which is go to a, a grief group. Uh, I didn't want to. I dragged myself there. I was one of six, uh, five other women, of course, or not other women, five women, and I was the only male. Um, and in that grief course, the resource person kept bringing out these, these pieces of paper that were in my filing cabinet on grief mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. that I had never applied to myself. And all of them were applicable, and all of them helped me um, chart my way through uh, or guide me through the issue of grief. Um, and so uh, I think uh, clergy need someone to come alongside them and pull out of them what's already in their filing cabinet so that they can hear, uh, make it applicable for them. Hmm. Uh, one of my favorite things that uh, not only related to the topic of transition, but just in life and in, in, in ministry, uh, you you have a way of talking about uh, this teaching moment in Jesus's ministry. Um, it's in the middle of John chapter 15, uh, where he tells his disciples, um, I'm, I, I'm not looking at it, but uh, along the lines of, I no longer call you servants. Um, tell us about the second half of that and how that relates to hearing God's voice uh, for ourselves. Yeah. Um, so many leaders have got into the habit of being a servant and not a friend of Jesus. And, and, and they discern guidance from the point of view of where can I serve most successfully? Uh, and so I want to reframe that question for clergy in terms of guidance. Um, where can you express your friendship with Jesus most successfully? Where can you mo be most fruitful in being Jesus's friend and expressing your companionship that you have with Jesus. Um, 
And that, that's a shocking question for some because it, it makes them realize, well, I never thought that I could ask a question that, that how would this ministry be good for me? That, that seems a bit uh, self-consuming. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, it's it's so important, um, and it's what gives one the spark, the uh, the dynamism, the motivation, the joy. Um, it's because you you're enjoying what you do. Mm. I, I just I love that from from servant to friend, and I know that in my own life, in ministry, in my family life, even you've helped me to begin to make that journey. And as you said at the top of our time together, it actually required changes inside of me more than outside of me. Yeah. Um, uh, sometimes there are those internal changes that, that have to happen first. Uh, could you point us towards um, maybe one or two more? What, what other internal changes do you see that are sometimes necessary when uh, pastors are trying to discern, hey, something's not quite right in my setting. Something needs to change. Maybe I need to make a move. What are other um, internal changes that that sometimes bubble up as you've worked with clergy. Um, well, certainly the issue of responsibility. Um, I think what crushes a ministry more than anything is clergy feeling responsible for everything and everybody. Um, there's no room left to in, to be responsible for oneself. Uh, One's boundaries have become so eroded by carrying the weight of everybody else that one has forgotten what it's like to be responsible for oneself. One has actually become very irresponsible about oneself and by extension, therefore, your wife and children, because they should be treated the same way as you treat yourself. Uh, Or so the bad argument goes. Um, So discerning what I'm responsible for uh, anew, starting that process again, um, and also discerning whether a crisis is a crisis. Clergy tend to go from one crisis to the next and uh, because they define it that way. Um, so often a crisis is not really a crisis, um, or, or it's somebody else's crisis and you've made it yours. Um, so I, I would say that Responsibility in defining crisis are, are two of the biggest issues in those internal shifts. Hmm. Well, I'm uh, that that's fascinating, and I I know that um, I, I would love to double click, so to speak, on both of those topics. But just to kind of keep us moving forward, we'll we'll continue the conversation on both of those uh, another time. But um, it, I, I wish that we had. Uh, a recording, a podcast recording in the first century with the Apostle Paul and Timothy. <laughs> uh, we have Paul. We have Paul's writings, which are incredible, and um, but we don't. We don't exactly have the content uh, from Timothy, and I, I'm struck by um, how vulnerable he must have been in reporting the challenges. You know, as you as you just spoke about. Uh, the problem of responsibility uh, as a young pastor, youngish pastor, some of my own, um, I I want to say yes, and that's that's a problem for me, but it's also a problem often in the church that the system I'm in uh, is is happy to let me 
uh, assign me more responsibility than they should. And, and yeah. uh, all of a sudden I'm, I'm making it somebody else's problem and not mine, but let me get back to, to Paul and Timothy. So, so in, with Paul, in, in spite of the challenges that Timothy had reported to him, I'm struck by at the beginning of his first letter, he says, uh, Timothy, stay put in Ephesus, stay put in Ephesus. Um, it, it's pretty clear Timothy wanted out. He didn't just want a, a sabbatical or a, a vacation. He wanted out. And um, I wonder if, uh, what your thoughts are, Bishop Trevor, on um, the, the bias towards staying put. Do you think pastors should have uh, somewhat of a bias towards staying put in Ephesus, so to speak? Uh, well, you know, no one size fits all. Um, and the moment you've given a sort of a bias, you prejudice all sorts of people who, <laughs> for whom they need to be out because it's destructive. It's uh, it's it's pathological. Um, uh, there's evil. Uh, and so I, I don't want to take away the opportunity for those who need to be out of uh, an evil situation to be out. However, mm-hmm. we live in a culture where the tendency is if it's if it doesn't appear to be working well, you trade in the old wife, the old husband, for a new one. Um, you trade in the old parish for a new one. Um, and I think that so much character and ability and skill is developed in working through all that is challenging about you know the current place. And uh, you know, my experience is that so often when people do have an internal shift, which often happens on sabbatical, because now they've got the they laid down responsibility, and so they've got time to reflect on themselves. Uh, they've become a friend of Jesus again, and in that good light, they often do make a decision to move. But it's because there's been an internal shift uh, through the sabbatical. So I often see that. A move is going to happen sooner or later, but um, not until the work's done within the parish and within the individual. So, you know, when a clergy pastor is thinking of leaving, I think he should be asking the question, what messes do I need to clean up for the incoming person? And that may well provide a new vision to keep them there for a couple more years or longer. Um, Rather than saying, I need to get out of this mess, uh, uh, well, then what mess are you leaving and how can you leave this place in really good order? Well, that's really good. I I know uh, I mentioned about the Vanderbilt group saying that they get a lot of calls on Mondays. Um, and I take that to mean, uh, as, I, as I think I know firsthand, that there's this cycle that you could get stuck in of discouragement that uh, is actually a little bit predictable in ministry. Uh, it's sometimes a certain day of the week. Um, uh, my understanding is uh, a number of leaders would say after a certain number of years in a particular place, there's some common themes that can bubble up um, after your first uh, three to five, I believe. Tom Rayner, uh, with the Lifeway group, um, he uh, tends to point to the third year as being a year that's often kind of fraught with, with more challenges than, than others. Um, I remember uh, in, in the, the, the last assignment I was in as a senior pastor, I remember calling you and trying to figure out, you know, Bishop Trevor, how do I know if it's just that I'm discouraged or there's been a lot of talk in the last few years about the need to be resilient? 
Um, do you know? Do I need to just discover new practices of self care versus is it actually time to go? All of this can be really difficult to to sort through. And um, I know you you joked with me at the beginning about promoting uh, our book. The the purpose of our conversation. Uh, the book's going to be coming out uh, uh, not anytime real soon. So we're not asking people to go go to Amazon today and buy a book. We're really trying to offer. Uh, encouragement and um, and and just share a bit uh, through. I know my friendship with you. This has been one of the key areas that I've been blessed by is um, finding and hearing God's voice in the midst of a really challenging season. So I want to ask, just as a last question, um, out of all the critical questions that you've you've discovered in your your time of working with young clergy. Are there are there two or three more that you could share that come to mind when when a pastor's trying to make sense of should I make a move or not? What what are two or three, uh, one or two, however many you you've got time for today, um, that that you would say these have kind of bubbled up to the top, and I'd love to share them before before we finish up. Well, thanks, Ryan. Uh, yep. Okay. Um, what uh, critical question? What is going to bring as much life as possible to your wife and children, if you have uh, a spouse and children. Um, um, uh, So much accommodation has taken place over the life of a clergy person by their family and spouse that it's time, often in the midst of uh, uh, change, to now consider what's going to be good for wife and children. Because if, if you don't attend to their needs, um, your own ministry is not going to to flourish. So that would be number one. Um, um, uh, I think um, being very clear about where you're fruitful um, and, and asking yourself, will I be more fruitful in this new place or not? uh, how can I increase the sphere of my influence? Uh, I, I think that we should be constantly thinking of that. Um, <clears throat> um, so those, I think, would be my my top two or three um, in in considering move. Mm, that's wonderful. Well, I'm. I'm so thankful that you're um, in in this season of retirement, that you're um, still making yourself available to uh, encourage those of us that are um, sorting through some of these challenges like like pastoral transitions, um, as well as others, um, especially thankful for um, the ministry that that you've had, not only in my life, but many others and in helping us to discover uh, the joy of friendship. Uh, with our Lord and how that frees you up to really be fruitful uh, to the comment you just made about where can you be most fruitful and what, what a beautiful connection to uh, what you said earlier that um, the, the real overflow of that comes through your friendship uh, with Christ. And um, just thank you for sharing your wisdom today with us on the vital podcast. And I know our province and our global communion is so grateful for your friendship and faithfulness. Uh, to our Lord Jesus. So thank you for your time today, Bishop Trevor. Well, Brian, thank you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to have some more influence.
<laughs> Absolutely. And for those of you listening in, we, we do hope that this conversation has been helpful to those of you that are on the front lines. Um, uh, we uh, would love for you to not only like and follow, but share this podcast with your friends. Our our heart's desire is that these would be vital conversations for leaders on the front lines, but it would also be a time where we could humbly collaborate with each other and share wisdom from the field. And so if you've got feedback to share with us, uh, questions about this episode or another, or suggestions for a topic, you can find us at churchrevive.org. Uh, our email, uh, Ken and Mark and I, Mark Eldridge, uh, both of us have our contact information there, churchrevive.org. Um, and if any of this topic that we just discussed resonates with you and you would benefit from having a coaching relationship, either with you individually or maybe in your own church, um, if you'd benefit from uh, having a coach to work through the process of pastoral transition, uh, we're here. That's part of why we're here. It's the Anglican Revitalization Ministry Team. And you can find us at churchrevive.org. Schedule a free 30-minute consultation with either one of us. Uh, thank you so much for listening in. Uh, we, we pray God's blessing on you as you minister on the front lines, and we'll see you on our next Vital Podcast. You've been listening to the Vital Podcast, a podcast of Anglican Revitalization Ministries, a division of the American Anglican Council. Be sure to share this podcast with other Anglican pastors and lay leaders who are also on the journey to church health. For more information on Anglican Revitalization Ministries and all it has to offer, be sure to visit www.churchrevive.org.